All right, we are in a series on the discussions of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, what we have been doing, we're going to do a little different. In the past, what we've done is, uh, I read the text, make some comments, then we stop the tape and do the questions, then we go back to reading and commenting, and then the question. So the questions and the answers to the questions never arrive on our uh, recording. And I have heard back from people who listen uh, that they don't like that. So we decided we'd try something different. We'll try it uh, this week, see how it works. Uh, I will read, I will make comments, then we'll stop the tape. When you ask a question, then I will we'll start the tape. I will repeat the question, give the answer, then we'll stop it. Now that'll mean we can't discuss back and forth quite like we did. But uh, we'll be able to do something. We'll see how that goes. If we need to go back to the other way, we can do that. We are in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And we have, uh, as I thought this would be three times, we're up to six. Uh, but that's been because we've had good discussion. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. We're up to chapter seven. Last week we looked at the section where the Lord tells uh, Israel and by extension, us, uh, that we're not to worry about what we eat, what we drink, what we're going to wear, those things of the world that all of the nations are seeking. He says that should not be our focus. Our focus should be on the kingdom and uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That righteousness of God is the righteousness of faith that Paul talks about, two kinds of righteousness, one of faith and one of works. The righteousness of works will never justify anyone. Uh, but the righteousness of faith is the righteousness of Abraham. Who received that, uh, imputed to him as righteousness, uncircumcised, and then was given the, seal of circum the sign of circumcision. So that Abraham's faith is foundational to both those who are of the circumcision and those who are not. In other words... Jews and Gentiles. And so that's the focus is that we are to seek kingdom things, eternal things, rather than worrying and thinking our focus be on the things of this world. Uh, the Lord knows that we have need of them and he will um, meet those needs. So we move into chapter 7, the end of this Sermon on the Mount as it's called. Uh, and in this section, we begin to get a number of statements that sound an awful lot like Proverbs. In other words, we're moving, the Lord has talked about the law and the prophets, and now he seems to be moving into a section of wisdom, which is always the application of truth in that context. So many of these statements sound like Proverbs. So he begins with this, Do not judge that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log is in your own eye? You are a hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now these first five verses in uh, chapter 7 really are important. And the word here for judge 
means to make discernment, but it also means to condemn. And the usage here seems to be more on that stronger sense. Uh, because if we are condemning someone, we are making a judgment about them, uh, often that becomes a form of self-righteousness. So Jesus says, don't judge uh, so that you will not be similarly judged. And he says that in the way that you condemn or judge, you will be judged because the standard that you measure will be measured to you. This idea that if a person is very uh, critical of people in a certain area of life, uh, and then they mess up in that area of life, boy, people pounce on them. Uh, because, hey, you hypocrite, you, you're talking about this, and you're judging me for this, and you're doing the same thing. But Jesus goes beyond that with his example. And in that example, he uses the famous speck and log, or speck and plank, depending on your trans, uh, translation. This idea that you're looking at your brother who has a flaw a splinter, a, a speck in his eye, and you've got a beam or a log or a plank in your own eye, and uh, you are uh, not paying attention to your own problem, you're focused on a much smaller issue in your brother. And he says, or, how do you have the gall to say that you're going to help him uh, with a problem that you have a much bigger problem uh, in your own eye. And so this notion is not only about us not judging and uh, addressing a standard that we seem to be the arbitrators of uh, when God is the one who determines what is right and wrong, but also this idea that he says you should first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What's important here is to notice that we are not supposed to not work on these things. This is not this verse is always quoted, don't judge. Well, we're not to judge, we're not supposed to judge. That's not what this is saying. This is a proverb telling us that you are going to be judged at the level that you are uh, making the statement of your judgment. You're going to be measured by that. And you need to deal with yourself first before you deal with another. Now that follows Paul's statements when he says, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, restore them in the spirit of meekness, seeking, uh, considering your own self first, lest you also be tempted. In other words, we are to do this in a redemptive framework, and we should work on ourselves first before we work on others. Uh, now the danger here is to think that I've worked on mine and that problem is solved and therefore I'm now going to help you with that problem. Most of us who have been around long enough know that many of these sins easily beset us and we trigger back into them again. So there is a spirit of humility that's needed here and a spirit of understanding that in some sense we are supposed to be working on ourselves and then helping others. We are not supposed to be uh, monitoring others so that we can fix them or correct them, which is part of uh, a self-righteous and a holier-than-thou kind of attitude.
So those are my comments. We'll go ahead and stop and see if there are any questions on that. All right, so the question really is, is this a general thing or is it a specific? In other words, are we talking about the same sin in our brother that you have more of it? Or are we talking about issues of uh, our own maturity and then helping others? I think that, in a sense, both are here. Uh, but I think there's a tie-in with this idea of the eye with what we just saw in the last chapter about the good eye and the, and the bad eye. This notion of a person who is generous and really wanting to help others versus a person who's focused on self-protection and themselves. So I think that the issue here is both a matter of uh, you certainly cannot help somebody with a sin that you have a greater problem with it. I mean, that's simply a, the case. Uh, but I think in general, this is about the ability to see. And when your sin has blinded you so much that you think of yourself as not a sinner, but you think of the other person as a sinner, and you're going to correct and establish their righteousness, I think that that's where the hypocrisy comes in. And So I, I do think that both of those are part of this, um, but I think it's more in the general term than it is in the specifics uh, because of the eyesight notion. Jesus uses eyes. If your eye causes you to offend, cast it from you. Uh, if your eye is clear, your soul will be clear. He uses the term of the eye all through this, so I think it's a more general use that's being done. You ready? Okay, so the, this question is, uh, why the use of spec, and I would assume why the term log, right? Uh, this, is, this is a little bit of an issue for translation. Depending on your Bible translation, you will get spec, splinter, you will get log, you will get plank. What the words seem to indicate is something that is small and problematic and huge and encompassing. And so it's really more a matter of uh, small versus large than the specifics of that, of that detail. All right, the question is, are we talking about inside the faith or are we talking about judging of anyone? Uh, Paul's pretty clear that our focus of judgment is within the body. God's focus of judgment is external to the body. Now, I, I want to be careful here. Paul is talking about the idea of excommunication, of somebody who is unrepentant and engaged in a major sin, uh, where we have tried to deal with it inside, and we can't, then we remove them outside where God does the judgment. Uh, Paul says, what have I to do judging those outside? One of the problems I think we have in this faith is that we have a tendency to, because we believe that God is the God of all people and His commandments are right and wrong, therefore we need to put those on other people. It's really important to understand, especially those commandments that are related to holiness, are not supposed to be used as judgment of those outside the faith. 
so while we shine as light and we can speak to why we act differently, our job is not to condemn those who are outside who are already condemned because they don't know God. Now what happens is people say, yeah, but the prophets did it and John the Baptist did it. But if you look at them carefully, for the most part, they did not speak to those outside the community of faith. Because even within the community of faith, we have people who hardly believe. But he's not really going and talking to those who are outside of the faith. So I really think that our discernment here and our encouragement of people to do the right thing is supposed to be done more within. And we'll see that in a moment in the next uh, part of the text that we're going to read. Okay, so the next verse is verse 6 of Matthew 7. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, again, we have this notion that's somewhat proverbic, it's like a proverb, and Jesus basically gives us two statements. One is, don't give that which is holy to dogs. Now, dogs are common animals, they're not... Uh, evil. This is not talking about uh, somebody who is necessarily evil. It's talking about people who do not have spiritual discernment. And in particular, this is in reference, I think, to unbelievers. Jesus used the word dog in this context with the Samaritan woman. If you recall when Jesus was asked... uh, by a Samaritan woman uh, for uh, a healing. He said, it's not right to give that which belongs to the children, he meant Israel, to dogs. And she says, yes, Lord, but the dogs receive scraps from the table of the children. And Jesus said, you have great faith. And he gave her. And he was amazed again that a person who was not of the household of Israel uh, had that kind of Uh, faith. So this notion is about you don't take that which is holy and give it to someone who can't discern holiness. Now this is a major problem in our culture and I would love to do an entire sermon on it, but I'm not. Holiness commandments in the Bible are related mostly to food and clothing and sexuality and issues of leprosy. Okay? There are a few other categories. Those are the big categories. Those commandments are for God's people. They are not for those who are not holy. You don't give that which is holy to the unholy because they don't know what to do with it. And the word here for pearls is the idea of a pearl of wisdom or a wise word. And a swine, and now, now we have an unclean animal, uh, we have a common one and an unclean animal, and they all they're going to do, they don't discern it, they're going to trample on that, and then they're going to turn on you. This is where we are not wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Most of the sexual commandments and the marital commandments <coughs> that are found in the scriptures are given to God's people. I I say this in my marriage and family class all the time. My goal is not to make 
American marriages holy. I have no interest in American marriages. That's why I don't get into the political stuff about marriage. I'm interested in making our marriages holy within the Jewish and Christian community because those commandments and that marriage and those vows are between God's people and God. They are not between the government and God's people and they are not between the non-believer and God. The Bible fully acknowledges that the other cultures had something of marriage, but that didn't matter. The commandments of holiness were for God's people. So it's very important that we not put holiness commandments on the ungodly because they won't get it. It simply irritates them. It reminds me of uh, the old uh, uh, English proverb, don't try to teach a pig to sing. Because it doesn't work and it irritates the pig. Okay? So when you try to give that which is holy to someone who has no discernment of that because they're common. Or they're unclean, they will simply resent it. They will trash it and come after you. And I believe that the churches in fighting for American marriage to be holy instead of our marriages to be holy, have unleashed an anger towards us that is going to make it difficult for us to even maintain our own sexual and moral values related to marriage. It's partly our fault because we didn't heed what Jesus said here. If you are going to observe a curtailment of your food because of biblical commandments... Those who understand that will appreciate it. But those who don't understand it will think it's stupid, think you're judging them, and they will turn on you in that way. So this is a very, very important verse. Do not give that which is holy to dogs to the common people. And do not throw your pearls of wisdom uh, before swine who can't understand the wisdom of God. They will trample them under their feet, and then they will turn and tear you to pieces. That's more than irritating the pig. So I'm going to stop it at there. Okay, so the question is about, I talk about dogs being unspiritual or common. And the question uh, from one of our young people is, can the common go to heaven? Okay. Uh, the scripture seems to indicate that those who are going to heaven are the holy. We are righteous by faith and we become holy as we work through that faith, that faith that works through love. And then we move towards greater and greater holiness. So it would be uh, impossible for someone who doesn't have that discernment uh, to even uh, care about that. So uh, if you ask a dog if he wants to see a TV show, he has no concept of the TV show, he's not going to watch it. When we talk to common people and they have no fear of God, no understanding of the gospel, most of this stuff makes no sense. And it's therefore not likely that that kind of a person would be part of the holy community that is saved. And the answer is yes. And that's the proclamation of the good news, or the gospel, that we proclaim, not necessarily knowing whether they will turn, but if God grants them repentance grants them a heart of faith, 
then they will turn and become holy like we are because we were common before we became the holy people of God. Now, the issue here is being careful that we don't choke them with the gospel, uh, but present to them that the gospel is that there is a God who cares and has given a way to life. If they're then interested in that life, we can give them more information. Sometimes we give too much information, and then sometimes when people begin to respond, we fail to give them the rest of the information. And I think we have to be careful of that. So that was a good question. Okay, why are we getting these in? The question is, why are we getting dogs and swine instead of common people and sinners, right? Why, why aren't we getting that? Because we're in a section where the information is Proverbs. Proverbs are always done in a more poetic way, and they're done with symbolic words rather than the specifics. And one of the reasons for parables and Proverbs is that those who are spiritually wise, uh, as the Bible says, those who have ears to hear, they can hear it, but others will hear it, think they understand it, and continue in their, in their darkness. So it is a, it's a little bit like code language, so that those who know the code will get it, and those who don't know the code will just go on their way. So that's a great question. All right, you ready? Okay. The question was, so are we not holy people because we're getting the scraps from the table because we're Gentiles? Uh, and the answer to that is uh, no. Uh, we have been, according to the apostles in the book of Acts, the Gentiles, God is calling out of the Gentiles a people for his name. And Paul refers to the Corinthians that was predominantly Gentiles, saints, so holy ones. So we who have come out of the nations and come to the Lord are also kadosh. We are also holy. We don't replace Israel. We come alongside Israel. Uh, Jesus talked about having another flock of sheep and that one day they would come together and there would be one shepherd. So we are also a holy people, but we are not a holy people in the sense that we are wholly distinct from Israel, but we are wholly alongside of Israel in that sense. That's, that's an important notion. Uh, we don't, this is the problem of how do we call ourselves Gentiles. Paul seems to talk about Gentiles who believe and Gentiles who don't know God. That seems to be his category. Uh, there are people in the Messianic movement that want to refer to those of us who believe and understand Israel as God-fearers because that was the historical term used for a Gentile who feared the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I like both terms. Uh, it's just that most Christians don't know what the term God-fearer means. And so if you say to people you're a God-fearer, they think you're just a deist. And that's not the same, right? So that becomes a problem. So the, the reality is we are also holy under the Lord. And we are also, therefore, under the holiness 
commandments, at least some of them. So if you look through Leviticus, there are certain commandments regarding sexuality and certain commandments regarding idols that says this is for the native-born Jew and the stranger, that's a Gentile, who dwells with Israel. Okay, And so I think those commandments then uh, fit us as being holy people of the nations who dwell with Israel in that, in that context. Uh, to the next verse, verse 7. Uh, this one we're going to go through uh, several verses. So Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And him who knocks it will be opened. What man among you is there who when his son asks for a loaf, he will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a snake. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So, uh, let, me, let me talk about these. I want to leave verse uh, 12 separate uh, in the same way I did with the judging verses. Um, Jesus here is using phrasing that doesn't mean ask and you will receive. It means keep on asking. Keep asking that you may receive. Keep seeking that you may find. Keep knocking that it may be open to you. So it's not like you ask for something and you let it go. You seek something, you don't immediately find it, you let it go. You become diligent in your asking. You become diligent in your seeking you become diligent in your knocking. Uh, and of course, there's one parable that we're probably all familiar with, where there is a judge who has uh, a woman that is just asking and asking and asking and asking. And he says, I don't even care about this woman, or I don't care about anybody, but this woman's going to drive me crazy, so I'm going to answer her request. Now, this is a comparison to God. If the guy who doesn't care about anybody will give to this woman because she's pestering him, how much more will God, who is willing to do good, give? And in this case, those of us who are parents know that if our child asks for something, we may not give them what they ask for, but we will not give them something that is useless or that is dangerous. We will give them that which is good. And our Father, who is, has no evil in Him, will, make, will certainly do good for us. And this certainly ties into the Romans 8 uh, passage that says that in all things God is working good to those who are the called according to His purpose. It's not saying everything is good. But that in everything, God is working good. We all can look back at things that were terrible in our life. That somehow God has turned into uh, good. We might not want to go back and revisit that. We certainly don't want to go through it again. But we know that the good that God has done in us has incorporated even that. I'm always amazed that God is even able to take someone's sin and work good in it. That is amazing. Now, 
if he can do that with our sin, what can God do with our obedience, right? And so this is a really important passage in that context. All right, the question is, is there a reason that famous scriptures are made into songs? Because obviously we sing this one, right? Now, singing of the scriptures is the way the scriptures have always been expressed. If you go into a traditional synagogue, you will hear the verses being chanted, and almost like they're being sung. And if you go into a traditional liturgical church, when they open the Gospels and when they open the, the, the Psalms and when they speak them, they don't just speak them, they chant them. Uh, and again, it's, there's two aspects to this. One is your voice carries better when you sing. So they didn't have amplifiers, and that's how they did it. But it also is easier to memorize. If you think about it, uh, most of us, when we're trying to figure out our alphabet and we're in trouble, we resort back to that little song. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And the reason for that is when you sing something, you memorize it. So... uh, Many, many people over the years have taken biblical texts and put them to music so that one, we can learn those words, and two, so that we can express those with our full being. Yeah. The question is, why isn't all the verses in there when we sing those? Partly because when people make these little jingles of the songs, they've got to make them match, and you would have to turn that into a bridge, that part about the man... Uh, giving a stone or a snake to his son. So that doesn't work well with the way we do music. But if you were seeing this in a traditional church, they would chant that part as well. It simply wouldn't be the the tune that we do. You recall when we opened the ark and um, uh, Pastor Trevor sings, Baruch Adonai. He uses a different tune, right? Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melakalam. Right? There's another version that does that. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. By doing that, you remember the songs. And that's why you guys remember the Shema, and you remember other things, because they're put to music. And so, uh, Chuck Smith, uh, when I first met him years and years ago in the 60s, um, uh, had memorized the entire New Testament. Uh, And I asked him how he did that, and he said he did it by singing it. He used the chants and other tunes to do that. And we would start him in a verse and he would go until we finished. Uh, you know, So that's a great way to do. I've got a whole bunch of rock and roll songs in my head because that's what I did in high school. I played rock and roll in a rock and roll band and I wish I had biblical texts instead of those. So instead of seek and ye shall find, I hear do what did he did he dum did he do. And that's not good. So we should be committing the scriptures to uh, memory. So the question is, since we have different, very, we're highly individualized in this culture, and what one person may want, another person may not want. For example, a hug or cookies or whatever, right? I think that the issue is, I want a person to know me well enough to treat me Uh, with respect in regard to those things, right? So then I need to do that with other people. 
So if I am high maintenance about things, I need to be respectful that other people might be high maintenance too, right? Uh, or if I have a, a problem with something, they may have a problem with that. Doesn't mean they have it, but I would want to know before I did something to or for them in that context. And then you have to ask, right? So I think that this, while this is a, a good general principle, it's not a it's not a blanket statement that allows you to, well, I would like it, so they need to like it. It doesn't say, it's how do you want them to treat you? I want them to treat me with knowledge and compassion and respect, and therefore I will treat them with knowledge and compassion and respect. So, answer it. All right. So the issue is, we're making a distinction between believers and unbelievers. There's a verse that I think helps us with this uh, that says, uh, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. That would be both unbelievers and believers, right? And then the scripture says, let us do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. Our capacity to do good is in some ways easier within the household of faith because we know each other. But if you see somebody and they've gotten in a car accident or they're on the street and they've fallen down, you know that person needs help. Now, you don't want to just grab them and pull them up, right? But you can talk to them and see, do you want me to help you get up, right? Because they may say, no, I think something's broken. Don't, don't move me. We can, we can have that kind of general compassion on anybody, uh, even if we don't know them. So I think the difference is that we can do much more to those we know and to those we don't know, we have to be at least aware that there are differences that might, that might affect how they interpret our doing good for them. So, yeah, that's a good question.